We're wrapping up the Battleground series. Isn't that crazy? Nine weeks. But uh, I have heard a ton of feedback that this has helped. So I'm thankful for it. We're almost going to swing back around to the beginning, but I want to make sure we end uh, the right way here, focused on the right thing. And so um, we need to take our thoughts captive. We need to think the right way every day. And, uh, and I think we're going to get some help doing that this morning. So why don't you stand to your feet. We're going to read Matthew chapter 6. Starting verse 25. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, um, some of you may know the Sermon on the Mount is blessed are the, blessed are the. There's a list of them. But there's a lot of stuff Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about the Lord's Prayer. He talks about, talks about worry. Talks about all kinds of things. So Matthew chapter 6. Starting verse 25, he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. This is what we're going to focus on today. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm going to read this to you again in the message paraphrase. I just like the way Eugene Peterson says it. He says, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtime or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. That just got all of us. (laughs) Brussels sprouts again. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes that hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror got even gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the field and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which have never, will never have been seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who know God and the way he works fuss, the way he works fuss over these things. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. 
Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, help us to take those thoughts captive that cause us to be focused on anything else but what your will is in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you renew our minds today through your word. Make us different than when we came, more effective and less fretful. We thank you for it and we believe it will happen today according to your will. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. We, um, we live in an anxious world. Actually, let me take that back. We live in an anxious country. Uh, in my travels, I find out that people that live in other countries aren't as anxious as we are. I heard a leader say one time, it's easy to say you sacrifice everything when you don't have anything. Because there's nothing to sacrifice. Well, I'll give it all away. Well, if I don't have anything to give away, it's not a big deal. But if I've accumulated a bunch of stuff... Then I start having to make decisions about what I'm going to give away and what I don't want to give away. And you find out when you travel to other countries that people don't, uh, aren't as anxious about things as we are. Here's what I found. The more things that you have, the more you have to be concerned about. Amen? If you, if you only have one kid, you can only lose one kid. I mean, that's the reality of life, right? If you have three kids, your chances of losing them triple. (laughs) Like, I got two of them where the third one, I don't even know what's happening. So, so when you, when you have more things, there are more things to be concerned about. What I found out in, in other countries when I travel is that when you sit down with somebody, they're not concerned about what kind of phone they have because there's not an option to get another phone. Man, we just had this discussion. I'm not saying options are bad. I'm saying options, options require more concentration on our, in our lives. I'm not saying they're bad. We just had a discussion. We, we went to, up to Morgantown yesterday to see my oldest daughter. We were sitting down. We went up Friday night and had dinner with her. Then we woke up and, and spent some time with her in the morning. And, and we were sitting at the, at the breakfast, uh, at the restaurant eating breakfast. Everybody had their phones out bemoaning the fact that their phones were a year old. I'm like, I don't, what is happening? We used to have to keep phones two years. Anybody remember back then? Used to keep a rotary phone for like 20 years. Those things never wore out. And now we're in a society where, where it's like, well, my phone's a little slow. I'm like, so was a rotary phone. You had to wait on the number to come back around. Are you kidding me? Some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Wait on numbers? I think I've told you this before. I remember my parents, we never had touch-tone dialing until the phone company forced us on it. We had a touch-tone phone. When you push the phone, it would go... 
We, I'm telling you, we were poor, man. It's like, I'm not paying extra for touchstone dialing because this phone still works. <laughs> but think about the things that we think about, that we worry about, that consume our lives. And we're the most anxious. Let, let me say this. We have more stuff than anyone else on the planet. And because of that, we have more anxiety than anyone on the planet. Because what I found out in my life is the more stuff I have, the more I have to be concerned about. The more stuff I have, the more I have to be concerned about. And, and I'm usually a nonchalant guy. But when you pile up enough stuff, you're trying to keep it all in place. And this is not a sermon against stuff. I don't want you to think that way. Because I pray that God blesses you. I pray that you're able to live a nice life. I pray that you, you, you have enough to be generous all the time. I'm praying God's abundance in your life. But the reality is, in our society, we have so much going on that we're anxious all the time. And what happens is, we have, we have no way to deal with it. We have no way to deal with it. So what happens is, every day that you wake up, you see one more case where somebody had so much piled on top of them. They worried about so much. They had so much anxiety that they did something crazy that you weren't expecting. We read about it. Day after day after day after day. Say, how did we get this way? Go to other countries. They're like, man, we had enough to eat today and God will take care of us tomorrow. And it's almost refreshing to think that way. So, Jesus is teaching Sermon on the Mount. He gets to this place in Matthew Chapter 25, and he's going down through, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. He's comparing our clothes to how the flowers of the field are dressed. And and he's comparing how he takes care of birds to how the Father will take care of us. And and how, I love how Eugene Peterson says, they're careless in the care of God. Wow. They're careless in the care of God. And so he gets down to the bottom of that section, and, and he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that we could spend time worrying about will be added to you. And I thought, man, there's a formula there. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You'll have clothes. You'll have food. You'll have things. You'll have an iPhone 8 plus. You'll have an iPhone. Did anybody realize that the new iPhone... Uh, the initials say excess. You'll get it uh, next next year when the next one comes out. Uh, it's supposed to be 10S, but it's XS. Excess. <laughs> okay, phonetically, let's sound it out. Excess. There you go. Okay. It's over the top. It's too much. Never mind. Never mind. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. All these things will be added to you. I started to realize that you have to always get the first thing first. I read a book a few years ago. Matter of fact, our whole staff read through it. I love reading modern war books. I, I, love, I love reading about people that can, uh, men and women who can handle a massive amount of stress and function in it. I love reading uh, about things like that. I read a book a couple years ago called Extreme Ownership about a guy, uh, a Navy SEAL, uh, I believe he was he was a commander, Navy SEAL, and he um, uh, he uh, wrote a book about Navy SEAL principles and how they apply to corporate life or your organization. And one of the main principles he had was prioritize and execute. How many of you are good multitaskers? Yeah, you're actually not. 
Um, yeah, I just wanted to break that stereotype right now. You're like, oh, no, I could do everything. No, you can't. Uh, I, I've read several books here recently about uh, how your brain is actually, it's impossible for you to think about two things at one time. What, what you're good at is switching. You're good at switching back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So it makes it look like you can do multiple things at the same time, but you can't think about two things at the same time. So this is why we're so distracted as a society. Because when we're trying to multitask, we're not thinking deep thoughts about anything. How many of you in the last week have thought about something for three hours straight, uninterrupted? You didn't check email. You didn't look at Instagram. You didn't look at Facebook. Kids didn't walk in the room. Three hours, anybody? Two minutes. Anybody got two minutes? Let's start. You know how, you know how auctioneer does? Like three hours, oh, two minutes. Let's start out two minutes. Let's work up from there. The reason why is because we are a distracted society. And so what happens when we're, we're not really multitasking, uh, what we do with multitask, what we do with multitasking is we don't really do two things at once. What we do is we stop what we're, and we think about this. But when we think about this and we come back to what we we're originally doing, we don't come back clean. We come back with a little bit of what we were thinking about. And now my thoughts that I was hoping to be able to concentrate on are now jumbled up with this. That's why you should have your email tab closed when you're working on something. Because what we do is we're working, working, work. Oh, oh, expect the email to click over here. Now, now I've, now I'm looking at target, uh, <laughs> sale days, right? And so, wait, wait, now i got to get back to my half an hour later. Now i got to get back to my, I'm thinking about this, thinking about this, thinking about this. And, oh, i got to check, i got to check somebody's supposed to message me on Facebook. Oh, look at that neat video about puppies. Oh. <laughs> so you see how it happens over and over and over. And we have become a society who is incapable of thinking deep thoughts. And originality comes from deep thoughts, not distraction. And so that's why they keep remaking the same movies over and over and over and over again. So watch. The first thing first. I have to put things in order. And the prioritize and execute principle is that you can't do everything at once no matter how hard you try. So let's pick the most important thing and do it first. I try to. Try to teach my kids that. My wife and I have had tons of conversations. All right, you got a list of 35 things to do. There's no way you can do all of it at once. What's the most important thing you can do today? Some of us need to consider what's the thing that only I can accomplish today. What is that one thing that, I, that God has called me to? What is that one thing that I can delegate other things? What is that thing that I'm supposed to accomplish? What is the first most important thing that I'm supposed to accomplish? Jesus is teaching right here. And he said, listen, number one on your list, every day when you wake up, every day in the middle of the day, the end of the day, every day, your number one thing on the list should be seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you're like, well, that sounds easy to you, preacher. I don't even know what it means. Seek first his kingdom as his righteousness. Because I wake up to some craziness every morning. First things first. First things first. What you realize is that you have to set a standard in your life as I'm going to do the most important thing first. All right? Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Eugene Peter, Peterson puts it maybe a little more understandable where he's, when he says, 
Whatever God is focused on, you focus on. Whatever, whatever, whatever the God thing is in the moment, that's what you need to focus on. Right? And he said, well, that sounds weird. I'm going to go to work and this guy's going to cuss me out. There's like, that's a God moment. I'm uh, like, like my husband's never satisfied with anything. I'm, that's a God moment. No, no, no. I didn't say, I didn't say that was a God moment. I said, focus on what God is doing in the moment. Oh, okay. So, so watch this. The problem with the first thing first is that the second thing is still there. Right? You know how lists work, right? You do the first thing, everything else is still on the list. Unless you're the type of person who I'm not writing on the list. I don't make lists. I don't make lists. So here's what we do a lot of times. We let the second thing impact the first thing. We let the third thing impact the first thing. The fourth thing impact the first thing. I, I was uh, very early on in ministry. I was able to go to this thing where this guy was, he was in his 30s, like early 30s, already debt-free. Uh, I don't think he had a mortgage. He, he didn't have any debt whatsoever. And he started talking about, let's prioritize your finances. And, I, and I'm like, oh, I've never done that before. I, my, my, the way I prioritize my finances is if I'm hungry or not. So let's prioritize it for your finances. What's the number one thing you want to do? And he was in he was in a room with a bunch of preachers. And so we were all like, obviously it's give to the Lord. So you write that down. What's the second thing you want to do? I want a yacht. No, that's <laughs> give to the Lord by a yacht. No. Uh, okay, own a house. Own two cars, all that stuff. So he said, okay. You cannot do number two until you do number one. And I was like, I'm in America, bro. I can get 3.9% financing. You have no idea what I can do at the same time. You have no idea. I'll give to the Lord and get a yacht on the same day. So he said, no, no, no. If you're going to live debt free, you can't do number two until you can accomplish number one. So when you accomplish number one and then there's enough left over to do number two, then do number two. Do you follow me? Yeah. So I, I'm going to be generous to the Lord because that's what he's commanded me to do. And then when I have enough with that generosity taking place, now I'm going to buy a house. Okay, so now I can afford to be generous to the Lord and buy a house. And now there's enough money left over to buy a car. Yeah. See how it works? So what we do, though, is we let two, three, four, five, and six override the first priority. And we say in our finances, Lord, I know you're important, but my neighbor just got a new car and I can't, I can't let out out do me. I can't, can't do that. I've been driving this car since college and they just got a new one. And I'm, I don't care what it costs. So what we do is we switch the order and you cannot switch the order. So the first thing has to be first no matter what two, three, four, five, and six look like. But here's what happens. Because of what 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 look like, we put off the first thing. Your circumstances should never move the first thing from first place. Did you hear me? Your circumstances should never move first thing from first place. When things get difficult, we abandon the first thing and replace it with something that will never move us forward. Now watch this. Here's how it works. The reason you have to think right today is because the things you're thinking today will prepare you for what the actions you'll take tomorrow. 
I'll say that again because none of you understood it. <laughs> the things that you think today are preparing you for the actions that you will take tomorrow. So if I trust God today for things today, I'm more likely to trust Him tomorrow for things tomorrow. Did you get that? Okay, if I'm anxious about things today, I'm setting myself up to be more anxious for the things that are happening tomorrow. You set a pattern in your life with the way you think. And so what we do is we set... Anybody ever set five-year goals? Anybody ever done that? Ten-year goals? Retirement goals? 30-second goals? Some of you are like, I got 30-second goals, man. <laughs> I reach them every time. Maybe that's a good way to start. Just give me the next 30 seconds. What do you think? What, what would you like to live up to in the next 30 seconds? You will never reach a goal without thinking the way you have to think today to reach that goal. It's impossible. If you want to be a great guy in five years, you're like, I'm on the long-term great guy trajectory. Like, I'm a devil right now, but in five years, I'd like to be a good guy. You have to start the way you think today. So what happens is prioritize and execute. What's the, what's the thing I got to do today? I got to put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to me. But you know what? The second and third and fourth and fifth thing are starting to squeeze out the first thing. Because, man, I got so much stuff going on right now. My marriage is a wreck. My finances are a wreck. My kids are a wreck. My job's a wreck. And I don't know. I don't even know what seek first the kingdom of God looks like. I don't know. And so what we do is we, we let anxiety bump the first one out. We let the concern for everything that's going on bump the first one out. And the reality is the first one is going to the only one that's going to get you where you need to go. Because Jesus says, how many of you by worrying about it have ever changed anything in your life? And so what we do is we let the concern about 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 override the thing that could fix 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And then we complain about, man, I never get an opportunity. It never goes well for me. It never does this. It never does that. It's because we're so worried about all that's happening, we forget at the beginning to overcome the worry. I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to me. So that means I don't have to worry about it. How am I going to get to that five-year goal? I'm going to get to that five-year goal by doing the first thing first. got to protect that with everything you got. What am I going to do today? I'm going to do God's will in my life. That's what I'm going to do. How are you going to do that? I don't know yet. You know what's so refreshing? If you wake up in the morning and say, I don't know how this is going to go, Lord, but I'm going to do what you want me to do. I, uh, we started praying this back uh, probably four or five years ago. I will pray. We'll pray every morning, Lord, direct our steps. But then I'll also say at the end, Lord, we trust you with whatever comes today. We trust you with whatever comes today. We use that language. Because I don't know what's coming today. He does. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's coming in 30 seconds. I don't know what's coming in 30 minutes. I got a good idea. But I don't know for sure. So I make sure he understands that whatever comes today, I'm going to be joyful about it. And I trust you. I will not let 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 override number 1. Because number 1 is what's going to get me out of 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Oh, see, I thought I could complain my way out of it. 
No, number one is what gets me out of it. Seek first the kingdom. All these things will be added. Paul, I'm going to give you two examples of Paul right here. Two examples of Paul. How he, how he took what was happening. He took two, three, four, five, and six in the list. And he said, I will not let that override one. I'm going to let the first thing give context for everything else. Now, so this is, this is awesome. Because what we do is we let our circumstances give context to our relationship with God. When our relationship with God should give context to our circumstances. Did you hear that? So what we do is we have crisis of faith because we we see our circumstances and we go, God, what are you doing? How are you letting this happen? How is this going on? She's burned the dinner four days in a row, Lord. I can't take it anymore. What Paul does is say, in light of my circumstances, this is who God, or this is who God is. And in light of who he is, this is how I look at my circumstances. The first thing's always first. If we let our circumstances determine what we think about God, then it'll, you'll be like, you'll be tossed by the waves. You'll be unstable. You'll be a double-minded man, as James says. You can't do that. So what the first thing first is, is to put first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. So what I do is I let my thoughts about God, I interpret my circumstances through that. Not interpret God through my circumstances. That's really important. That's really important. So how's Paul do this? Second Corinthians, he does it. Chapter 12, verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Did you just hear what he said? Now before this, you find out that Paul, he, he kind of is a little mysterious when he said it. He said, I know a guy. You ever gotten help that way? Hey, I got a friend. And that friend just robbed a bank. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to tell you on my, on my laundry. So I say, hey, I got a buddy that's going through this. What do you think they should do? Paul says, yeah, I know a guy. I know a guy who's taking him to the third heaven. The stuff, all the stuff he said, he can't even talk about. There's no words to describe it. So he, he, he goes through all this thing. And then he gets to this place and he says, well, I was, in order for me to not be conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. When is the last time that we gave con- context to our circumstances as a corrective action from God? When's the last time you looked at yourself and went, I was getting a little bit conceited and God knocked the block out from under me? No, we go, God, why are you doing this? He said, it should be obvious. You got a chip on your shoulder because I showed you some neat things. So Paul contextualizes his sickness this way. He says, I got a thorn in the flesh. Messenger of Satan. Because I was getting conceited. And to keep me from getting conceited, now, now I've got this difficulty in my life. Can I? Let's do a survey. How many difficulties are because of our pride? Oh, we talked about that last week. Never mind. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, you have to remember the history of this guy. He lays hands on people and they get healed. He walks in. He lays on a guy and he breathes again. All He's seen amazing miracles. He's an apostle. And he's praying for himself with no results. If at any time in his life, he should have been like, God, this isn't fair. But he didn't let two, three, four, five, and six 
put the context on the first one. He let the first one put the context on the rest of the list. So what's he say? He says, I prayed three times. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will. Therefore, this is Paul. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, that I'm strong. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And the most anxious part of my, when I should be the most anxious, I'm not. I'm careless in the care of God because I've used the first thing to contextualize everything else. I'm not healed, but that doesn't change the way I believe in God. Because I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all this stuff will be added to me. It's not the way I want it right now, but God is still first. He does it again in Philippians. He writes to the Philippians. He's in chains now for the gospel. He's been arrested and thrown in prison. He's in chains. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they could stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. He said, some people are taking advantage of me being in chains. And I could sit around and complain about that all day. Lord, look at me. I got arrested for your gospel. And now some people are trying to take advantage of that and ease in and trying to make money off of it. But he lets the first thing contextualize everything else. And he says, I don't even care. Because, of, because there's still people doing it out there for the right reason. And it's evident to me that even in the most difficult part of my life, the gospel is going forward in a rapid pace. And the first thing is still first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. He said, I'm fine with it. Now listen to what he keeps saying. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will, re- I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. How I react to what's happening right now. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Look how he's framing it. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to go on living. This will mean, if I'm going to go on living, this will be fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith. So through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will bound on account of me. Watch this. Before chapter, he gets into this. Before Jesus gets into the seek first kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things be added to you. He teaches people the Lord's Prayer. What we call the Lord's Prayer. He, he teaches them. When you pray, pray like this. 
Oh, some of you know it. Ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. Did you just hear what Jesus taught you to pray? Pray his will be done on earth as it is perfectly every time in heaven. There's no question about whether God's will will be done in heaven. It's a directive. It's a command. It's, it just happens. When he speaks, light comes into existence. He doesn't have to go around going, hey, why isn't everybody doing what I want him to do? In heaven, it just happens that way. He's God. On earth, we get a little bit of a say in if God's will happens in our lives or not. And so what Paul says is, he says, listen, in context of what's going on, as crazy as this looks... Me being in chains, I, I am going to define it by what the number one thing is, and that's his will. Seek first the kingdom of God. I want your kingdom to come on earth and do your will on earth as it is in heaven. That's the way he had just taught them how to pray. So he's saying, first do this, and then it will contextualize everything else. So in Paul in Philippians chapter 1, he's saying, in light of me being in chains, look what number one, look what it means. Means I'm fine. Means I don't have anything to be ashamed about. It means the gospel's still going forward. It means I don't have anything to complain about. Would I rather be dead and in the presence of God? You bet. But He needs me here for you. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Lord, as Eugene Peterson, what is God doing today? Focus on that. What is God doing today in your number two, three, four, five priorities? What is God doing today in your difficult marriage? What is God? Let me talk about that for just a second, if you don't mind. And then I got to wrap this thing up. The problem is that most of us look four months down the road. Lord, I don't think I can take it that long. I don't think I can stay in this. I don't think I can do this. Stand to your feet. The band's going to come. I'm going to tell you a little story. About nine years ago, my son was six years old. My middle daughter was eight. My oldest daughter was ten. And uh, I, had, I had been doing CNO canal trips with the youth ministry here. I was a youth pastor. And we would take 20, 30 kids, and we'd ride from Williamsport down to Washington, D.C. It was 100 miles, and we would camp along the way. It was really cool. And so we, had, we all had bikes. It was cool. I was like, and I had Tuesdays off at that time. It was in the summer, and I would keep the kids in the summer. I was, I was Mr. Mom. And here's what I would do. I would think, oh, okay, I don't want to sit around the house. Let's go do something. So I thought I had a map on my bike, and I had to tell the mileage of how far everything was. And I, and I read the map, and I thought, you know what? We could ride from Shepherdstown to Harpers Ferry. It would be a great little trip. So my son was six years old. Now, he was an advanced rider at six. <laughs> He started riding a bike with no training wheels at four years old. Honest story. I just thought I was holding the bike one day and he got on it. He said, take my training wheels off. I was like, it's not my head. Um, So he got on the bike and I was holding it. And when he rode off, I let it go and I went back in the house. I was like, he'll figure it out. So um, he just did it. So he'd been riding a bike for like, he was an accomplished bike rider. But only his little bike didn't have any gears or anything like it. It was just one of those little teeny bikes. So we started riding. We, we, we stop at Shepherdstown, get off, and we ride all the way to Harpers Ferry, which I thought would be a 12-mile round trip, six miles down, six miles back. But 
but the but the dad miscalculated by half. It was a 24 mile round trip. <laughs> so we get down there. Now, how many of you know going down is always easier because there's something to anticipate? So I kept telling him, man, there's ice cream shop in Harper's Ferry. We're going to get down there, have lunch, have ice cream. It's going to be awesome. And they're like, yeah. He, you know, he started a little bit, dad, dad. I'm like, shut up. I'm giving you ice cream. So when we get down there, I start to panic a little bit. I call Beth on the phone. She's, she's at work. And I said, hey, listen, I might have screwed up big time. I know it's rare and you're shocked, but... Um, but here's what the deal is. Carter just rode 12 miles. I thought it was going to be six. We may have a problem. Keep your phone by you. I may need you to come pick us up. Well, if any of you are over the CNO Canal, you know there's not many places to come pick up. So me and my wisdom, I thought, he made it this far. Surely he can make it back. So we turn around after lunch, and I'm like, all right, we're going to start back. Now, I know none of you have done this, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. But I lied to my son for the next four hours. Every about two miles, I told him we were almost there. And I would say, hey, listen, we're almost there. We're almost there. We're almost there. And he was crying. Oh, let's stop for a second. Put our feet in the water. And he'd cry. And I'd say, get back on your bike. And then, and then for the last about two miles, he cried the whole time. Just. But you know what I learned? God only intended you to focus on today. I need to do what he called me to do today. So here's, so if you're trying to figure out how you're going to stay married the next 10 years, you're thinking about it the wrong way. You got to think about how can I, how can I do the right thing today? How can I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? How can I do what God wants me to do today? So here's what we do. We get so focused about, I don't know if I can make it to the end that we don't love somebody today. That we don't like, I'm not sure I can do this for the next 10 years so we don't give unconditional love today to our spouse we don't bridge the gap today we don't give grace to people at work today because we're, we're, we're I don't know if I can stay with this company for the next 5 years you know what only God the only thing God's concerned is can you do what he wants you to do today that's it Jesus says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness today so the Lord's prayer goes like this Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us. He never taught us to worry about 10 years from now. If I'd have wrote that prayer out and said, Lord, give us for the next six months what we need. Because I don't have to think about it. No, I'll give you today what you need. So stop thinking about all the stuff that could happen in your marriage and think about what you could do today to seek first the kingdom of God. You know what God would do in this circumstance? He'd give her grace. You know what God would do in this circumstance? He'd forgive him. You know what God would do in this circumstance? He'd cross that bridge and love him anyway. You know what God would do with the difficult guy at work? He'd forgive him. He'd, he'd give him grace. He'd do all those things. When? Today. I don't care about what happens five years from now. Because he said if I did what I was supposed to do today, if I saw him first today and was concerned with what he wanted today, then he'd take care of that. He said, I won't have to worry about it. And so all I need to do is get the first thing first today. Today. Father, we pray that you drive that into our minds. Lord, that every time the devil comes in and causes us to worry about what could happen tomorrow, what could happen in six months, what could happen in ten years. Lord, I pray that you'd remind us Get the first thing right today. 
just get it right today. What would you have me do today? Your will be done in my life today as it is in heaven. If I can nail today, Lord, you said you take care of tomorrow. So, Lord, give me enough strength and grace. In Lamentations, it says your mercies are new every morning. And I pray, Lord, that they be refreshing to me today. And then when I wake up tomorrow to start it all over again, those same mercies would refresh me tomorrow. God, let me focus on today and let me put all my care for tomorrow on you. Do what you do best, Lord, and take care of me. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, could you give him honor and glory, church? He's good. Amen. Come on, greet somebody on the way out. Let them know it's good to see him. You can be generous. And we'll see you back here next week.